0: Since 1983, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now at Copenhagen, save $500 on any stressless signature or leg comforter recliner model. For more ways to save, shop online at copenhagenliving.com or visit the showroom on Breaker Lane. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary since 1983
1: i love the name of this podcast
2: well i love you so much
1: i love you so much too.
2: welcome to i love you so much the podcast about the people places and things we love about austin our podcast is from the feature staff at the austin american statesman and we're sponsored by copenhagen furniture i'm addie Broyles. Virginia Willis is one of the most celebrated Southern cookbook authors working today. She's based in Georgia, but every year she comes to Austin on a culinary tour with Central Market. During a recent stop, I caught up with her at the North Lamar location to talk about how Central Market's cooking school compares to others around the country, what to do with all those tomatoes and peaches, and why summer is her favorite time of the year to cook. Jenny Willis, welcome to I Love You So Much. I love the name of this podcast. Well, I love you so much.
1: I love you so much, too.
2: You are such a sweet spirit, and you are in a familiar place. We are at uh, Central Market on North Lamar, which has been a home of one of Austin's top cooking schools for a number of years now, and you've
1: been teaching here probably since the beginning. Well, my first book came out 10 years ago, so I've been teaching here for 10 years. And I would go one step further, though, and I would actually say that I think that Central Market Cooking School is the premier cooking school, avocational cooking school in the United States? I would definitely say that. Why would you say that? What makes you? It's just an incredible program. Um, I think that the resources that the store itself has, you know, uh, it's it's all the normal things that you need to have daily life. But then there's like Rambutan and all these like you know incredible ingredients and like really carefully sourced and and all of that produce and all of those ingredients make their way to the cooking school, yeah. and they've just got really great teams of people that are trained and have you know different kinds of food and beverage restaurant experience and everyone's a professional it's Mm -hmm. a a great school Mm -hmm. i mean every cookbook author Mm -hmm. over the past 10 years has been
2: through here i mean from bobby fillet too well you name it so you're here to talk about tomatoes tomatoes
1: what are you going to say about tomatoes? Well, I love tomatoes. I, they're they're one of my favorite summer vegetables and or fruit, I guess the technical would be. And um, so it's kind of exciting because I think that, you know, one of the first questions my friend Erica asked me this morning when she told me, when she heard that I was doing a tomato class, she goes, are you making tomato pie? You know, so there are these certain things that people, I think, Southerners specifically associate with tomatoes. And so my approach actually to this class was to do something a little bit different, and and not not standard operating procedure. Right. So, what are you going to teach? My uh, the first dish we're going to start out with a, a summer salad, which is a, a stone fruit salad, and it's based on a dish I had in Maine a couple years ago. And it's it's cucumbers and peaches and tomatoes and cherries and chilies and you know it's like it's sweet, hot, juicy, and it's. Dressed with olive oil And and then like whole fresh leaves of herbs Mint and parsley So it's just the the Quote unquote vinaigrette Or just the fruit juices Mm. Um, And then it's seasoned with a little salt So it's just very flavorful And um, you don't have to cook it Mm -hmm. Right
2: it reminds me that tomatoes, you know, we think of them as sort of a standalone thing, but they add so much to a pasta dish, a salad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we think of a salad as needing a dressing or a vinaigrette, Mm -hmm. but tomatoes have so much acid, you really don't need to add anything else to it.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. So, and I I love the, um, just be able to sort of sneak them in different things. So another dish um, on this evening's menu is a green beans with peaches and tomatoes. And so that's another thing. It's like, peaches and your green beans you know um, but there's that expression you know what 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 grows together goes together and so when things are in season like this and it's just it's just so easy you hardly require to cook things I think. So summertime, it's also
2: pretty hot outside, so you don't want to turn on your oven. I mean, cooking habits change in the summer, not only because
1: the produce changes. So in your home, how do things change? Well, I remember, like, for example, my grandmother, she would do all the major cooking for the day in the early morning, and then we would eat that during, you know, during the course of the day. But she would get up really early. In my house, it's sort of the same thing. I mean, if it's too hot in the kitchen we eat differently right or we'll have room temperature food and not not hot food um i'm a lot more thoughtful when it comes to leftovers and sort of repurposing so for example if if i roast a fillet of salmon one night then we'll have chilled salmon like the next day so i think it's just just being a bit more mindful of the heat um and then also just considering the dishes right that it's not it's not time for you know heavy pasta dishes it's I really do think that summer is knowing just how to cook just enough, you know, not too much. Mm
2: -hmm. When you think about summer squash, if you Mm -hmm. overcook them, they're just, I don't want to say worthless, but Mm -hmm. they they change into something totally different. But if you cook them just enough they're divine mm-hmm. same would be true if you like grill a peach or mm-hmm. if you uh, and also getting the timing right of when is it time to eat that tomato when is it time to eat the melons mm-hmm. how
1: mm-hmm. do you know when it is time to eat some of those summer produce well with melons well my grandfather taught me how to do the melon so you always tap it it needs to sound like full right not and uh, a lot of times with with much many produce many items um, if you touch the stem um, and it gives just a little bit then you'll know it's ripe. I mean, it's sort of a case-by-case case scenario, but um, uh, when it, you know, it's like fresh and unblemished, that's the, thing, the main thing to look for, because if it's unblemished and doesn't have any nicks and stuff in it, it's, it's pretty fresh. Are
2: you still yeah. having to tell people to not store tomatoes in the refrigerator?
1: <laughs> it is amazing to me how many times certain things have to be said. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> yeah. What about peaches, where do they belong? Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, peaches, of course, um, I, I grew up one county over from Peach County, Georgia. So peaches have been in my life a really long time. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big peach fan. Um, right now, we're, the Texas peaches are just coming in, so they're a little firm. Um, but we have these donut peaches that I'm using tonight. And they're, they literally look like if you took the stem end and the blossom end and squished it. And they're called donut peaches, and they're a white peach and they're super juicy and flavorful. Um, You know, uh, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is the the peaches in the beginning of the season, they're all clingstone. And then later in the season, they're freestone. uh, people get confused, I think, when they're trying to slice a peach and they can't slice it and they really they think it's not right, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It's just the type of peach. That it is. So, do you use them
2: differently? So, like the clean peaches that are on now, um, do you stew those? Or, I mean, because you, you can't get the beautiful slices mm-hmm. for a beautiful open-faced tart or something like mm-hmm. that. And they might
1: be more best suited for preserves or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, preserves, or you could dice them, right? Because mm-hmm. you can, like, get some almost cut it like a mango and get some, like, clean slices off off the sides um and i think lighten up y'all I had a tomato peach gazpacho you know which is really nice because it's got the sweet honey of the peaches and then the acid of the tomatoes and they, they go well together. I haven't met a peach I don't like. <laughs> now, do you eat nectarines, too, or are you a peach girl? I'm, I'm, I like nectarines, okay, but I'm more peaches.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you spent enough time in Texas to sort of catch a little bit of our peach fever. How is mm-hmm. Georgia peach fever and Texas peach fever
1: different? And have you ever tried to do a taste test of them? Oh, no, I haven't done a taste test. No. Dare I you?
2: I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um,
1: I, don't, I don't need to start that fight. <laughs> you have
2: friends in both places. <laughs> right.
1: I don't need to start that fight. No, I'd be curious. I mean, I think the thing is, is like it. it's it's so wonderful that now um like one of my favorite peach farms is a farm called Pearson Farm it's in South Georgia it's near where I grew up and I've used them for years and I noticed on their website the other day that they had some heirloom varieties available now this is a large um 100 year old peach company um that's pretty commercial you know they they ship all over the country and I just thought that was in there and it's a Tra- more traditional farming there it's really ho- hard to grow organic peaches um, but I, I saw these heirloom varieties and it, it just really kind of made me smile that even these larger farms I mean this is a family farm but it's a it's a large successful farm that they're looking into some of these older varieties that's, that have different flavors right because what's what happened was is, as you know is that everything came became about yield and shipping and so peaches got shipped across the country hard as rocks and no flavor and i think that that's changing Mm -hmm. so let's talk about cucumbers and squash Mm -hmm. i i cook
2: with them very differently in part because i don't cook the cucumbers i just treat them raw and almost treat them like a tomato but squash on the other hand i love sauteing grilling Mm -hmm. stir frying giving them a lot of high heat aggressive seasoning how do you think about those two
1: pieces of produce oh you know i got this little twitter uh uh, conversation yesterday because there was a video of a salad that the cucumbers were smashed. And the whole point of it was that the dressing would have more nooks and crannies and um, and I think it was probably honestly the video that sort of was a little off-putting because I was like, because I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. And then of course, lots of people had opinion that they were more than happy to share with me about why how I was wrong. And I was like, I, I just said I didn't know how I felt about it. Um, but yeah, cucumbers, cucumbers. Raw all day. I know that we can cook cucumber, and I know that there's a more of a European tradition for that. Um, but once again, just whatever I can eat in the summertime—I mean, it gets 100 degrees in Georgia too, right? So whatever we can eat in the summertime without turning on the stovetop or even or going out and you know manning a grill is fine by me. Um, I and mean, then for the squash, and then the squash, um, you know. Honestly, I would also say, too, that some of the really super young, fresh um, zucchini and summer squash, that can be served raw. Like, I, I like that, like, uh, um, diced and then tossed in, like, a lemon vinaigrette or something like that. I think that that can be really refreshing. Um, and, yeah, I do. But I love it grilled. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love it grilled. And, and once again, sort of looking towards that practical cooking. Um, if I'm grilling out one night, I always grill extra vegetables, either to toss in salads or to put on sandwiches or um whatever it may be uh but just to eat later on in the week Mm -hmm. yeah just the other night uh Actually, I've, I've
2: taken to Monday Night Grilling. Oh, there you go. It's sort of a way to revisit the weekend mm-hmm. on Monday. Remind myself that the weekend will return. <laughs> uh, smart. And, um, and I, if I'm firing up the grill, I throw a couple of different proteins on and whatever vegetables mm-hmm. I've got and then just eat on them all week. And then I'll use them for quesadillas and with my kids or mm-hmm. toss them with pasta, make them into a pasta salad. I eat a lot of pasta as you could tell. <laughs> um, but uh, let's see, when you are grilling, I mean, you were, you were talking about meaning the grill. I'm sure you're a really great
1: grill cook. Yeah. You got any tips on that? Oh, I actually just published a blog post today about with some grilling tips because I think that people get scared of it and I think that, that women traditionally really do get scared of it because it's always the husband out there on the grill. So I think one of the most important things that people need to know is they're, it's they'll have better results if their grill is clean. You know, it, it's the, it's all about the grate and things not sticking. So the best time to clean the grill is after it's just been used, and use a good wire brush. Um, I usually will take, I have a jar, a mason jar, that I keep a little bit of oil in, and an old rag, and I just use that to oil the grates, and so that'll help keep food from sticking. Um, I have a little have a little kit set up, and I have a squirt bottle with water, so if I get any flare-ups, I can just, squirt you know squirt the water and make the flame go away because that'll scorch um but mainly i think it's practice mm-hmm. i mean you know people just need to practice and uh and then I, I, one last tip would be that generally with all grills regardless of whether it's the you know 15.99 hibachi from the dollar store or the five thousand dollar whatever from the fancy store um, the hottest part of the grill is usually in the middle and so it's just like sort of learning to work with that super hot part, and then being able to move things to the outer edges so that they don't overcook. Mm-hmm. Are you a charcoal fan? I am a charcoal fan. I have, um, I do have a, a gas grill, and then I have a, a, a big green egg. So mm-hmm. I, I do both. Um, you know, the big green egg can go from like two hundred to seven fifty, uh, which is mighty hot, and sometimes that's more than I want to deal with. But there's undoubtedly that beautiful smoky flavor that you get using hardwood charcoal, you know, like on a, what's called a Komodo. That's the, the type of grill. Um, and then sometimes that gas grill with two knobs and a click-click, and it's hot in 15 minutes. That is exactly the speed that I want at the end of a day. Your partner, Lisa Eckes, is a well-known cookbook agent. Yeah. You
2: are a cookbook author. Mm-hmm. How many books have you published now? The, the Secrets of the Southern Table was
1: my sixth book. Your sixth book. So mm-hmm. you, I'm sure there's a lot of thinking and talking about cookbooks in your house. Are you both cooks? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Lisa's an awesome cook. We love to cook together in the kitchen. And, and I usually I do sort of the more heavy lifting on the um, daily dinner stuff. But Lisa's an amazing cook. And um, she always has these different cookbooks coming into her life because of all the other different clients and stuff. So it's fun to see, um, you know, what other people are doing and get inspiration. And uh, yeah, she's, she's a fantastic cook. Yeah. What are you seeing change with cookbooks these days? I've noticed on some of them lately that um, they are become highly stylized again and sort of uh, these like really bright, hard white, light colors, I feel like. Um, I think that Instagram is definitely affecting cookbooks. I mean, I've seen more square cookbooks of late than ever before. I think there's a lot less uh, in terms of aesthetic. People want photographs with everything, mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, but in terms of aesthetic it's it's a little bit less pretty you know that there's a little there's a, there's more um, design I feel like um, it, it's interesting to see and there has been I think a trend with paper I don't know if you've noticed that like mm-hmm. there's the shiny paper and then there's like sort of the the matte, the matte yeah. paper and that I feel like can sort of drain color so I'm not as big of a fan of that mm-hmm. Um, but that might just be resisting change. Yeah. It's neat to see all the different kinds of, yeah, both the design, the layout, the cover.
2: Some of them are so high end. You, you can tell that they're really not meant to be used. It's more of a souvenir cookbook. And right. then there are the down and dirty ones that are really shot in somebody's kitchen by the mm-hmm. author themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and you've got bloggers and you've got esteemed chefs and you've just got the whole gamut, but cookbooks are selling more than they have in years. Is that right? Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a question, I mean, people ask me that. Why, you know, what's up with cookbooks, even though there's, you know, all the recipes are on the internet for free? And what do you say to that?
1: Well, my, sort of my first response to it is there are plenty of chefs and cookbook authors that have really great reputations and their recipes work that also have recipes online. There are also, I think, there's there's plenty of you know, <laughs> newsflash. There's plenty of stuff on the internet that's not true or right. You know what I mean? So, I think that if you become familiar with a food blogger, and he or she you try some of their recipes and they work, and you can develop that relationship, then that's fine. But just sort of like random googling recipes and not knowing where it came from, that that doesn't fit me. That doesn't fit. Uh, that doesn't work for me. But in terms of cookbooks, people, you know. My books are a little bit different because there's always a story or a head note or you know people everybody knows my grandparents and my mom and all this kind of stuff. But I can't tell you how many people say to me, "I read cookbooks like novels," mm-hmm. and you know, it's different. Mm-hmm. And it's different looking at a novel on a Kindle. Mm-hmm. It's different looking at a cookbook on a Kindle. And uh, um, I think that that people do like eBooks, but it's also kind of not practical. Mm-hmm. You know, digital devices around hot, steamy, <laughs> sharp things. I mean, that's a really good way to lose an iPad, in my mind. Let's fry some chicken. Put the <laughs> iPad right next to yeah. it. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, I think about it, if you were at if we were at a big potluck, right? And it was just everybody in the whole world and all the different ways that we eat. You would be drawn to certain dishes, and you would strike up a conversation with those cooks, mm-hmm. and those w- would be the people that you would say, hey, I mm-hmm. would like to see more of what you do. And if you're mm-hmm. keto or paleo or gluten-free, that's mm-hmm. going to already sort of seg- mm-hmm. uh, not segment or segregate, but... We have all these niche ways of eating that, um, you know, maybe like I know some people who are just not into Instant Pots at all. Right. I really need a couple of Instant Pot cookbooks in my life because right. I'm using it and enjoying it and can't seem to remember how long to cook the beans for.
1: I, I agree with you completely. And for to that end, like I got an Instant Pot last year. I don't feel like I particularly need one from a practical standpoint, but I felt like as a per- culinary professional, I needed to know how they work. Mm-hmm. You know, And I need to know how to create recipes with them. And I need to understand that some people that want to read my blog or buy my books or whatever, they, they want that. So I feel like it's just um, uh, being sort of engaged and informed about what various segments of the public want. Mm-hmm. So you are on a Texas tour. <laughs> how many times have you done this Central Market Tour now? I don't know. I always call it the Texas Five Step, though, because yeah. it's like five cities and five nights. And it always winds up being like... Um, Teach, eat, sleep, teach or teach, eat, sleep, fly, teach, eat, sleep, fly, and it's like you know, sort of rinse and repeat. Um, but it's incredible. I mean, it re- they really uh, it's it, they're very much hospit a lot of hospitality, incredible hospitality, and um, it's so nice because now that I've been doing it, I have people that have been coming to my classes for ten years. I mean, it really does. Like sometimes it just takes me aback that wow, you know, and or they'll now with social media, I know some people are coming to classes or they'll do some of the recipes and tag me and things like that. And it really, it's a neat community. Mm -hmm. What do you like about those five days in Texas? Is there anything you seek out? So I love to travel. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I will go anywhere that I haven't been. I mean, I don't care. And um, what I always try to do when I do this trip through Texas or anytime I'm teaching anywhere in the world I always try to um, meet, see friends that may be living there and be able to connect with them. Um, I try to seek out restaurants that I'm interested in. Uh, like today, for example, for lunch, I went to Ileana de la Vega's restaurant
2: mm-hmm.
1: El Narajo. El Narajo, yes. I'm sorry. I was like trying to remember how to say that, but that was amazing. I mean, it was just so delicious, and I'm not as familiar with Oaxacan cuisine or certainly how to prepare it. Um, and so, I met her last week uh, or week before last at a, a chef's conference and she's like running around with a pasilla pepper like wanting me to smell it and she was so excited about it and it just struck me so strongly like how many times has this woman held a pasilla pepper and she's still excited running around with it like here Virginia smell this and so so I had to come to her restaurant right so I just try to uh it's it's th- this is my life and it's my work but they sort of blend seamlessly with one another. Sure. Uh,
2: how many more days left do you have on the tour? I return to Georgia on Saturday.
1: And then do you have a whole summer ahead of you or do you have a busy summer? Are you traveling? Um, I am teaching uh, I, I, I may have timed it a little bit bad being in Austin with 100 degree (laughs) heat or whatever but generally um I teach in Maine at Stonewall Kitchen in August because it's a beautiful time to be there and um so yeah I I don't seem to slow down too much Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) lastly what is your favorite summer dessert peach cobbler yeah I, I I it's so easy and it's childhood and it's it's you know it's just dead easy to throw together and you know and I think it's um who doesn't like peach cobbler? It's true. Now I got to ask you specifics about
2: the cobbler. So, do you <laughs> use the same cobbler technique for all fruit? Blueberry, cherries, same kind of topping. Yeah. And Is it
1: very similar to your biscuits? So my cobbler is a batter cobbler, and it's almost like a um, like the one, two, three, four cake in a way. So uh, I take a cast iron skillet, three hundred and fifty oven, and depending on how helpful I want to be, I'll either throw in a, a stick of butter or maybe a couple tablespoons of butter and some canola oil, right? There's, it's, it's, it's incredibly um, versatile and I'll heat that up. And what that does is it all, it browns the butter and melts the butter, but it also heats up the skillet. And then I'll make a a batter with um, flour, sugar and milk and vanilla. And I can't remember if there's leavener in there or not. There's probably like baking powder in there and mix that all together and then tip the hot, fat or the hot butter into the batter and then the batter goes back into the skillet and because the skillet's hot um it sort of rises up almost like a popover on the sides and then once the batter's in then I throw the fruit the fruit in and I'll throw in like the sliced peaches or or blueberries or blackberries or whatever that may be and then that goes into the oven for like 45 minutes and it's so good
2: (laughs) I love hearing about this uh It reminds me of the peach crisps and cobblers that I grew up with in Mm -hmm. Missouri, but we would always spoon the batter on top. Ah. And so hearing your technique with, uh,
1: is it like a slump? Well, see, I don't know. I mean, I've been working on this piece lately. It's like there's slumps and grunts and beddies and buckles and all these different things. It's like these crazy words. Um, But I have seen there are cobblers that have the the batter on top, Mm -hmm. and they're almost more like biscuits, Mm -hmm. Right. And um, and then crisps, of course, with the crumbly topping on top. But I grew up with the batter cobbler, so that's of course, that's my favorite. I love hearing about that, and it also reminds me of just the regional variations. Mm-hmm. That is
2: what make the, makes this country so special. Mm-hmm. And each home we we add to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when you take the time to cook, you are contributing to that canon.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. That's so true. So true.
2: Well, you enjoy the rest of your evening Thank and you. your time here. Thanks, Virginia. Thank you
1: so much for having me. I'm really great to be on.
2: That's our show. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our sponsor, Copenhagen Furniture. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin and talk to us on Twitter at love 360. Please leave us a review on iTunes as it helps other people find our podcast. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is a production of the feature staff at the Austin American Statesman. This episode was produced by Elizabeth Alice. Our theme music is from the local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com. We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your extra cups of sugar. Until next week, we'll see you baking a peach cobbler before breakfast.
0: Since 1983, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now at Copenhagen, save $500 on any stressless signature or leg comforter recliner model. For more ways to save, shop online at copenhagenliving.com or visit the showroom on Breaker Lane. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary since 1983. 3.